Chapter two, section three of A Practical View of the Prevailing Religious System by William Wilberforce. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Lillis. Corruption of Human Nature. Objection. But there is one difficulty still behind, more formidable than all the rest. The pride of man is loath to be humbled. Forced to abandon the plea of innocence, and pressed so closely that he can no longer escape from the conclusion to which we would drive him, some more bold objector faces about and stands at bay, endeavouring to justify what he cannot deny. Whatever I am, he contends, I am what my Creator made me. I inherited a nature, you yourself confess, depraved and prone to evil. How, then, can I withstand the temptations to sin by which I am environed? If this plea cannot establish my innocence, it must excuse or at least extenuate my guilt. Frail and weak as I am, a being of infinite justice and goodness will never try me by a rule, which, however equitable in the case of creatures of a higher nature, is altogether disproportionate to mine. Let not my readers be alarmed. The writer is not going to enter into the discussion of the grand question concerning the origin of moral evil, or to attempt at large to reconcile its existence and consequent punishment with the acknowledged attributes and perfections of God. These are questions of which, if one may judge from the little success with which the acutest and profoundest reasoners have ever been laboring to solve the difficulties they contain, the full and clear comprehension is above the intellect of man. Yet, as such an objection as that which has been stated is sometimes heard from the mouths of professed Christians, it must not be passed by without a few short observations. Were the language in question to be addressed to us by an avowed skeptic, though it might not be very difficult to expose him to the futility of his reasonings we should almost despair of satisfying him of the soundness of our own we should perhaps suggest impossibilities which might stand in the way of such a system as he would establish we might indeed point out wherein arguing from concessions which he would freely make his preconceptions concerning the conduct of the supreme being had been in fact already contradicted particularly by the existence at all of natural or moral evil and if thus proved erroneous in one instance why might they not be so likewise in another? But though by these and similar arguments we might at length silence our objector, we could not much expect to bring him over to our opinions. We should probably do better if we were to endeavour rather to draw him off from those dark and slippery regions, slippery in truth they are to every human foot, and to contend with him where we might tread with firmness and freedom, on sure ground and in the light of day then we might fairly lay before him all the various arguments for the truth of our holy religion, arguments which have been sufficient to satisfy the wisest and the best and ablest of men. We should afterwards perhaps insist on the abundant confirmation Christianity receives from its being exactly suited to the nature and wants of man, and we might conclude with fairly putting it to him, whether all this weight of evidence were to be overbalanced by this one difficulty on a subject so confessedly high and mysterious, considering, too, that he must allow we see but a part, oh, how small a part, of the universal creation of God, and that our faculties are wholly incompetent to judge the schemes of his infinite wisdom. This, if the writer may be permitted to offer his own judgment, is at least in general the best mode in the case of the objection now in question of dealing with unbelievers and to adopt the contrary plan seems somewhat like that of any one who, having to convince some untutored Indian of the truth of the Copernican system, instead of beginning with plain and simple propositions and leading him on to what is more abstruse and remote, should state to him at the outset some astonishing problems to which understanding can only yield its slow assent when constrained by the decisive force of demonstration. The novice, instead of lending himself to such a mistaken method of instruction, would turn away in disgust and be only hardened against his preceptor but it must be remembered that the present work is addressed to those who acknowledge the authority of the holy scriptures and in order to convince all such that there is somewhere or other a fallacy in our objector's reasoning it will be sufficient to establish that though the word of god clearly asserts the justice and goodness of the supreme being and also the natural depravity of man 
yet it no less clearly lays down that this natural depravity shall never be admitted as an excuse for sin but that quote, they which have done evil shall rise to the resurrection of damnation end quote. john verse twenty nine that the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the people that forget god end quote. and it is worthy of remark that as if for the very purpose of more effectually silencing these unbelieving doubts which are ever springing up in the human heart our blessed saviour through the messenger of peace and good will to man has again and again repeated these awful denunciations nor it must also be remarked are the holy scriptures less clear and full in guarding us against supposing our sins or the dreadful consequences of them to be chargeable on god Quote, let no man say when he is tempted i am tempted of god for god cannot be tempted with evil nor tempteth he any man End quote. james one thirteen quote, the lord is not willing that any should perish End quote. second peter three nine and again where the idea is repelled as injurious to his character Quote, have i any pleasure at all that the wicked should die saith the lord god and not that he should return from his ways and live End quote. ezekiel twenty eight verse twenty three quote, for i have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth saith the lord god End quote. ezekiel twenty eight verse thirty two indeed almost every page of the word of god contains some warning or invitation to sinners and all these to considerate mind must unquestionably be proofs of our present position it has been the more necessary not to leave unnoticed the objection which we have been now refuting because where not admitted to such an unqualified extent as altogether to take away the moral responsibility of man and when not avowed in the daring language in which it has been above stated it may frequently be observed to exist in an inferior degree and often when not distinctly formed into shape it lurks in secret diffusing a general cloud of doubt or unbelief or lowering our standard of right or whispering fallacious comfort and producing a ruinous tranquillity not to anticipate what will more properly come under discussion when we consider the nature and strictness of practical christianity let us here however remark that though the holy scriptures so clearly state the natural corruption and weakness of man yet they never in the most minute degree countenance but throughout directly oppose the supposition to which we are often too forward to listen and this corruption and weakness will be admitted as lowering the demands of divine justice and in some sort palliating our transgressions of the laws of god it would not be difficult to show that such a notion is at war with the whole scheme of redemption by the atonement of christ but perhaps it may be enough when any such suggestions as those which we are condemning force themselves into the imagination of a christian to recommend it to him to silence them by what is their best practical answer that if our natural condition be depraved and weak our temptations numerous and our almighty judge infinitely holy yet that the offers to penitent sinners of pardon and grace and strength are universal and unlimited let it not however surprise us if in all this there seem to be involved difficulties which we cannot fully comprehend how many such everywhere present themselves scarcely is there an object around us that does not afford endless matter of doubt and argument the meanest reptile which crawls on the earth nay every herb and flower which we behold baffles the imbecility of our limited inquiries all nature calls upon us to be humble can it then be surprising if we are at a loss on this question which respects not the properties of matter or of numbers but the counsels and ways of him whose quote, understanding is infinite end quote. psalm one forty seven verse five quote, whose judgments are declared to be unsearchable and his ways past finding out end quote. romans eleven verse thirty three in this our ignorance however we may calmly repose ourselves on his own declaration quote, that though clouds and darkness are round about him yet righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne End quote. psalm ninety seven verse two let it also be remembered that if in christianity some things are difficult that which it most concerns us to know is plain and obvious 
to this it is true wisdom to attach ourselves assenting to what is revealed where above our faculties we do not say contradictory to them on the credit of what is clearly discerned and satisfactorily established in truth we are all perhaps too apt to plunge into depths where it is beyond our power to fathom and it was to warn us against this very error that the inspired writer when he has been threatening the people whom god had selected as the objects of his special favour with the most dreadful punishments if they should forsake the law of the lord and has introduced surrounding nations as asking the meaning of the severe infliction winds up the whole with this instructive admonition quote, secret things belong unto the lord our god but those which are revealed belong unto us and to our children for ever that we may do the words of his law End quote. deuteronomy twenty nine verse twenty nine to any one who is seriously impressed with a sense of the critical state in which we are here placed a short and uncertain space in which to make our peace with god and then the last judgment and an eternity of unspeakable happiness or misery it is indeed an awful and an affecting spectacle to see men thus busying themselves in these vain speculations of an arrogant curiosity and trifling with their dearest their everlasting interests it is but a feeble illustration of this exquisite folly to compare it to the conduct of some convicted rebel who when brought into the presence of his sovereign instead of seizing the occasion to sue for mercy should even neglect and trifle with the pardon which should be offered to him and insolently employ himself in prying into his sovereign's designs and criticising his counsels our case indeed is in another point of comparison but too much like that of the convicted rebel but there is this grand difference that at the best his success must be uncertain ours if it be not our own fault is sure and while on the one hand our guilt is unspeakably greater than that of any rebel against an earthly monarch so on the other we know that our sovereign is long-suffering and easy to be entreated more ready to grant than we to ask forgiveness well then may we adopt the language of the poet what better can we do than prostrate fall before him reverent and there confess humbly our faults and pardon beg with tears watering the ground and with our sighs in the air frequenting sent from hearts contrite in sign of sorrow unfeigned and humiliation meek End of chapter two section three